I, you know, at some point when, when someone says racist things enough times, you have to believe that that's what they truly believe to be the truth. You know, it wasn't just an accident. And I think, you know, it was really just repeated behavior of things like that. You are listening to the In Full Frame podcast. In Full Frame is the go-to resource for wedding professionals featuring news from all across our industry and original articles from our industry's leaders. I'm your host, Lance Nicole, and you can find more on infullframe.com. Enjoy the show. All right, guys, so we are speaking with Madison Pittman today. Um, some of you guys know her as Max, um, Max McQueen Photography. She is a wedding photographer uh, based in New York, uh, specializing in elopements, and she also shoots fashion. Um, Max started working for the Hans in 2017. Recently, she shared um, her experiences that a lot of people did not know, uh, some people did know. Um, and her being comfortable sharing her experiences has also allowed others to share their uh, candid uh, experiences that maybe they were afraid to share. Um, and so we're going to talk about that today. Um, I want Max. I want to thank you for one. I mean, so many people have thanked you just for sharing what you've shared. If you guys don't know Max, or if you haven't seen any of this, I mean, what I've seen so far, you've had like 220 shares on your post. 2700 comments so i mean i'm sure it was something hard to share in the first place and um yeah so thank you again for coming on here and and talking about it so let's kind of before we get into that let's kind of start with how you were introduced to the hans and just kind of go from there yeah i mean first of all thank you so much for having me lance and i want to thank everyone who's taken the time to read my story this week and share the post and also has been vulnerable sharing their own experiences. Um, yeah, I was introduced to the Hans via Facebook in 2017. I moved back to the U.S. after studying abroad and was kind of broadening my horizons in the wedding industry, trying to network with people outside um, my hometown of Kansas City just kind of see where I could go with my photography education. And I happened to friend request Brittany at some point. Um, I don't even remember why, but I saw just a few weeks later that she was looking for a nanny to move in with them in New York for three months. Um, and yeah, basically I commented and applied to the job and ended up having a phone interview that night and I was hired and moved to New York just a few months later. Wow. Were you a photographer at that point? Were you doing weddings? Um, I had gone to school for photography in Norway and had sort of dipped my toes into the wedding photography world, but only by second shooting a little bit. I didn't have a business of my own to speak okay. of at that point. And so was that part of the, the draw to wanting to take the nanny position? Um, I think I definitely was excited that that was, you know, part of the connection, but I definitely never... I truly figured I would move to New York for three months to nanny and then I would move back home. So, you know, that was right. kind of 
that was sort of the end. I figured I would learn some things from just being around them, but then I would move home and, you know, apply them and, and keep going. I'd actually never been to New York until the day I moved here to be a nanny. So I didn't really have any expectation of what that would be. And I was 19 years old. So okay. I was just in for an adventure. Yeah. And then you became their studio manager. How did that come about? Yeah. So about a year after I started working for the Hansa Nanny, they went to their first Engage Summit and decided that it was time for them to level up. So they returned to our apartment where I'd been staying with their daughter and told me that they wanted me to be the studio manager of the Hans photography business so that they could continue to focus on hustle and flow in the education side of their business. Um, which, yeah, I agreed to pretty much at that point, just a couple of days later. I didn't really know what that was going to entail at the time, but I was definitely familiar with their business at that point and thought that it would be a good move for me. Okay. So that was fairly short into, you know, from, from nanny position to studio manager. It was very quick um, yeah. transition. And then they were already doing hustle and flow. So if anyone mm-hmm. isn't familiar, so the Hans, Brittany and John, wedding photographers, they were um, working and living in New York and they, they have a workshop series or had um, called hustle and flow. And so were they, were they deep into that? Had they just started that? Where were they in that process? So when I first moved in with the Hans, I believe that they had only done their first or second Hustle and Flow workshop. It was at the very beginning of that process and business. They, up until that point, had primarily been wedding photographers and were just entering the education sphere when I moved in. Okay. Yeah. And um, I mean, I have had very little experience with Brittany and John. Brittany actually sat at one of my dino rounds, dino rounds at Engage in 2018. And I remember the time, you know, um, she introduced herself as running Hustle and Flow. And in, mm-hmm. in my mind, it was kind of this smaller thing. And um, and then right after that, that's when I started seeing a lot of other friends in the industry jump into their workshops. Um, Troy Williams, Eric mm-hmm. Kelly, I mean, so many very talented people that so many in the industry look up to. Um, joined in and it seemed from the outside I never spoke to anyone about them but it seemed like the profile of hustle and flow took a massive jump mm-hmm. in this last year all right so where should we start let's maybe start about why you wrote what you wrote mm-hmm. um, and then maybe some of your experiences so I guess why did you feel like this was the time to share what you shared well honestly I have not have any desire to speak on my personal experiences with the Hans in the year and a half since I've been fired because, which I now know is a very common, (laughs) common, you know, feeling for people. I I was truly scared of what they would try to do to my business and honestly to my personal life if I spoke out about them. So I just decided to keep it to myself and keep my head down and work hard to establish a name for myself in New York and network. And I figured that I could kind of leave them behind. Mm -hmm. But this week, Catherine Marchand posted on Instagram and decided to call out a lot of leaders in our industry for their lack of Instagram posts related to the Black Lives Matter movement. And I found that to be deeply problematic 
because, you know, we all support the movement differently. I think it is important that we hold each other accountable for our actions and our inactions in this industry, but we all support differently. Some people are marching, some people are reading books, watching films, educating themselves, um, talking to their friends. And I think just because you haven't posted on Instagram in the first few days of a social revolution doesn't mean that you're somehow at fault um, for continuing the reign of white supremacy. So when I saw that post, I was deeply disappointed in Catherine, but I still wasn't convinced that it was my time to speak out. My friend Jay has experienced a lot of abuse from the Hans over the years, and he posted in this thread telling his story, and I basically just decided that it was time to back him up publicly in that thread, and also stand up for the photographers that I saw as just being bullied by this, Mm -hmm. because I don't think that we're going to gain any progress by shaming each other. I think there needs to be a conversation full of love, and... I just thought that after holding all of that in, everything that I'd seen working with the Hans for a year and a half, I felt that it was truly time to validate the experiences of my friends and myself and to speak out against the injustices that I'd seen while working there. And I felt that the world was paying attention at this time. And honestly, after watching their apology video that was posted to Instagram, Mm -hmm. I realized that they truly hadn't learned their lesson (laughs) and maybe it was time that I spoke up um you know I I think that that kind of was the final nail in the coffin for me deciding that it was the time (laughs) time to share my story and say my piece so you posted after their apology video um I guess I posted first on Facebook just I said something about I saw there was um, a separate photography community called Shoot and Share that was going through their own reckoning at the time. Yes, so I sort of posted during the Shoot and Share blow up and I said, oh, are we exposing racists in the photography industry on Facebook today? Um, And in between the time that I posted that and posted my my final piece, Brittany and John had posted their their apology video. Um, I... (laughs) I had run out the door to a protest, actually, and I didn't know I was going to be gone that long. So by the time I got back, I, I had a lot to catch up on. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's go back a little bit. So you're, you've you been hired as their nanny. You're living mm-hmm. with them. What was the first sign of something a little bit off? Uh, and what was it? Well, hmm. I think that the first sign to me that something was off was probably not until a few months into working with them when I realized that I was working for sometimes weeks straight, um, taking care of their daughter while they were traveling without any overpay. I started to feel really overworked and This was before I took over as studio manager, but I kind of saw the behavior that Brittany and John had brought into their business. And, you know, I I chalked it up at first to sort of a no bullshit approach, which I think a lot of people did. 
you know, they talk straight, they appreciated the honesty, and I did too for a while, but I just realized sometime, you know, right before I was hired as a studio manager that I was just working way too much for not enough pay. So that was kind of my first red flag. It wasn't until I got deeper into their lives and their friendships that I really started to be concerned. I only worked for them for a total of about 20 months. Mm. So it was a pretty fast progression from thinking that, you know, I just landed my dream job to right. being pretty frightened about what was going on. Okay. So, I mean, so what are the, what were some of the big things or the things that you were um, either sharing or adding them on that were the, the big problem issues? Yeah, I saw a pattern of just racist and homophobic and xenophobic language and behavior by the Hans and Catherine towards friends and clients and um, even people that had paid them thousands of dollars to attend a workshop. Brittany was often very fat phobic and just rude um, when speaking about their attendees. And, you know, I, I have three black brothers and I was always very vocal with Brittany about the way that her comments made me feel or came across just to people in general. I, I knew that she was raised in a family that didn't place um, a lot of importance on equality and, you know, on being woke per se. So I tried to cut her a lot of slack, but I, I, you know, at some point when, when someone says <laughs> racist things enough times, you have to believe that that's what they truly believe to be the truth. You know, it wasn't just an accident. And I think, you know, it was really just repeated behavior of things like that. I think, Brittany often discredited our friend Jaquela, um, who's a black wedding photographer, and just said things about her that I didn't believe to be true. Um, and, you know, in my posts, I, I also spoke to their homophobia, which mainly translated um, to just me shooting all of their weddings and engagement sessions for queer couples because Brittany often said that she was uncomfortable um, shooting those or just didn't know what to do, which I also found deeply problematic. So, yeah, I mean, there was, there was definitely a pattern of behavior that concerned me, but I was very young at the time and also had seen Brittany burn down a lot of friends and acquaintances online when they disagreed with her. So... I kind of figured that either everyone else had it wrong, you know, and surely someone would speak up about them if I was working for people that were that bad. You know, they must have some credibility if they've made it this far in the industry. And then, you know, I was also, <laughs> I was also frankly worried for myself um, because they, yeah, they went on the offensive against anyone who, who dared to speak out against them. And so what way would, I mean, when they go on the offensive or when they had mm -hmm. gone on the offensive, what did that look like? I think something that Brittany was kind of famous for in the early days was Facebook Lives, where she would basically choose someone in the industry that she disagreed with, which she would then burn down publicly for 30 minutes to an hour while other people chimed in. 
She would often do it by name, you know, and I think another way that they did it was um, just by bringing people up at their workshops or even in public, like at Engage, having confrontations with planners or other photographers they disagreed with. You know, it kind of took many forms, but I think that what I'm realizing now is a lot of people experience the same level of abuse. It just took different, yeah, it took different forms over the years from being, right. you know, Facebook lives to, to just some talking shit and engage. Am I allowed to cuss on this podcast? You can, yeah, you can say shit. Okay. You can all say shit. Sorry. <laughs> no problem. Um, okay. So uh, I know, I mean, you mentioned it here and you talked about it on the post um, instances of things comments and language that was uh, racist, um, homophobic, them not wanting to uh, shoot same-sex sessions, work with same-sex couples. I think you mentioned her asking you to take down social media posts of uh, people of color. Mm -hmm. How many times did that happen? Um, To my memory, it happened upwards of eight to ten times. I mean, it was quite often. I tried to introduce diversity into our brand as much as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, as a young person in this industry, I think that's something I've always been super passionate about, but there was always an excuse as to why that didn't match up with our brand, which I found very alarming to say the least. So these were clients that you guys had through the Hans mm-hmm. that either you or they had photographed. Yes, correct. You would post them onto Instagram, it mm-hmm. would go live, and then she would tell you to take it off. Yes. And what was or, Why would she tell you to take it off? Just. Um, she would tell me to take it off either because it didn't match our aesthetic or because that particular wedding wasn't fancy enough or that couple, you know, didn't, didn't invest enough, didn't invest enough in their planner and their flowers. There were lots of excuses. And, you know, I think I would have, maybe believed any of them individually but it was really just a pattern of that happening which made me realize that it went a lot deeper you know than any wedding aesthetic right yeah so i mean because if it's once and you're told doesn't align with a certain brand but eight ten right. times it's pretty yeah i just think at that point it's unacceptable yeah so i don't want you to share anything that you're not comfortable with i mean you're already sharing a ton but in terms of, um, you know, racist language or just disparaging someone or kind of, you know, cutting someone down, were there any things that you saw in person, any specific examples that when it happened, you're like, whoa, what's going on? You know, what am I doing here? Were there any like instances that you were like, I can't believe this is happening or, or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, I heard Brittany call our own friends the N-word repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Um, I also heard that language from John. I And their friends heard them say this, or this is behind their friend's back? Um, behind their friend's back, just because they, you know, made them angry. Brittany and John, you know, really didn't hold back when people had, quote-unquote, betrayed them in any way, even if that was just calling them out for their behavior. So I was deeply uncomfortable every time that happened. I was yeah. also deeply uncomfortable anytime Brittany used fat phobic language about her conference attendees or just talked about people's appearances. I was actually in therapy for quite a while after being fired just because of the comments that Brittany would make about 
my body and others. I mean, there really is just no end of examples to how they would put people down in order to put themselves ahead. Um, so yeah, I think also they, they confronted, Brittany confronted me at Engage about something very personal in my life in the middle of a party. And, you know, that was deeply uncomfortable to me as well, because I was, was that young... when you were still working with them or after? Yeah, I attended an Engage summits with them while I was still working with them. And I was 22 and, or 21, I think, and Brittany decided that that was the appropriate occasion to call me out about my personal relationships. And it was just deeply, deeply uncomfortable because I was trying to make professional relationships at the time. And I later learned, you know, that she confronted other people in public at Engage. Um, that was also obviously really traumatic to them. So, I, I mean, I think there were a lot of instances where I was deeply, deeply concerned with the way that things were going. Um, and most of them happened towards the end of my tenure with the Hans, I would say in the last six months. Um, but, you know, I've heard concerning things in the time since then as well right. um, from friends and acquaintances that have encountered them. Thankfully, I haven't seen them since I was fired. So. Okay. Yeah, and I wouldn't want to speculate too much, but why would why do you think there would be those confrontations even at that time? Like you're in a social environment, and like this is the time to have this uh, confrontation. Like probably wasn't any good time at all. Probably shouldn't happen at all. But why was that there then a pattern at that time of those of those things happening in your mind? Um, you know, that's something I've asked myself as well. I think that overall, I, I have to believe that most of this was for attention, or it was out of some deep insecurity that, you know, Brittany needed to center the narrative around herself. I don't know why else you would do that. To me, it's deeply <laughs> embarrassing. But, you know, Brittany also has a very confrontational personality. So I, I think that to her, that was part of the part of the drama and part of the narrative was to make right. it happen in a space where you could be shamed and other people could kind of join in and gang up on you and, and see you in the same light. Um, so whether that happened virtually or in person, that's kind of the only way I've been able to re really reconcile that behavior. Um, yeah, I don't know. Right. It I mean, only... it's not reconcilable. Right? I mean, yeah, you yeah. only draw negative attention to yourself. Sure. So I've never quite understood that, but that's my best guess. Okay. Let's talk about hustle and flow a little bit. Mm -hmm. I've, I've spoken to a couple of people. I've spoken to friends of mine I mentioned earlier, not those people, but other people as well that have kind of said, you know, they didn't realize when they signed on to go speak that maybe that's not who they should have been attaching their brand to. And mm -hmm. they, they, I've had people tell me that in the future, they hope not just, I mean, the being a good person is a much bigger piece of this, but that they hope that people that are giving their money to educators will hopefully learn from this experience to vet their educators. You were there, I guess, when they were really bringing the profile of hustle and flow up how were they able to go from you know the smaller thing to getting these really big names like marquee educators but also i mean these are some i mean the people just from a quality of character are incredible that they had coming in 
um, mm -hmm. the best of the best people. So how were they able to um, elevate in that way? Well, I think a lot of people were attracted to their very money-centric mindset, to mm -hmm. be honest. The Hans lifestyle was always promoted as something that was very luxurious and yep. very, um, you know, elevated. They were constantly bragging about their designer possessions. And, you know, what I saw behind the scenes was that the only reason their business was able to be successful is that they were exploiting young women, particularly for their labor. Um, myself and other associates were working for free very frequently, you know, to keep their business running behind the scenes while they shooting were educating. Mm -hmm. Shooting weddings and also working for the workshop. I worked for the workshop and many other people, you know, photographed or gave their time to speak for free. Um, and, you know, meanwhile, I would have associates shooting weddings for free or cheap if the Han said that they were tight on money. While they were paying, you know, these big name speakers from Engage to get on their list because they knew that that would result in more tickets sold for them. So I have to believe, looking back, that a lot of the allure was was money and status and attention, um, you know, because nothing the Huns ever taught was revolutionary. It was nothing that no one knew before. It was nothing that, you know, was really beyond an internet marketing 101 course based on the six or so hustle and flows I sat in on, you know, but their name carried a lot of weight because they could sell out a conference. So right. what I saw was, you know, a lot of people who didn't really ask questions as to how their business kept running behind yep. the scenes. You know, I was working 60 plus hours a week at that point for $384 after tax. And no one ever stopped wow. to ask me, you know, what's your workload like? Or, you know, <laughs> why have yeah. you lost 30 pounds in the last two months? And it was frankly because I was managing a team of five associates working for free for Hustle and Flow, nannying their child, and also running our photography business as well as shooting weddings on the weekends at the same time. Wow. So, you know, I when I'm putting the pieces together now, I realize that their lifestyle was alluring, but the only reason they were ever able to achieve that is because they exploited people all along the way. Um, and, you know, it's unfortunate that that's what it takes to be seen as a credible voice. But I mm -hmm. think that, you know, in an industry where we're all working for ourselves and we want to believe that we can scale our businesses and achieve something, they really they really did present something alluring. Were there instances that you saw where um, any of the speakers were not paid or did any speakers ever come in and speak free of charge? So I know that speakers of theirs that were alumni who had attended their workshops before often spoke for free mm -hmm. um, and were told that it was a great opportunity for exposure. I don't know whether or not anyone from the engaged circle ever spoke for free. I know they were usually compensated, though. It definitely right. depended on who you were, whether or not they decided to pay you or not. And is it accurate that some of the higher, bigger names or the people that they were bringing in at the end, when they were compensated, that they were compensated very well? As far um, as you know, or were you not involved in that? Side? As far as I know, they definitely agreed agreed to the compensation that they were given. So I would assume that Brittany was able to to meet them where they where they exactly. were comfortable at least. Yeah. I, I think that she knew that she had to pay a certain amount to get a certain caliber of speaker and they weren't reluctant to do that necessarily. I wouldn't also I also wouldn't be surprised if some people ended up doing it for free for whatever reason, but that didn't mm -hmm. happen that I know of. Yeah. Yeah.
Yeah, I think, you know, one of the wonderful things about the wedding industry that I've seen, and it seems like this was one of the instances of it being a negative, is that there is a lot of trust. Mm -hmm. We're a very tight-knit community, whether you're part of the engaged community or a wedding photographer, creative partner in general, there's a ton of trust. I've seen that in so many instances. Uh, part of my background is, you know, I shot um, fashion editorial before I shot weddings. And part of what I love about weddings and why I transitioned into it is there's a community and there's trust. And when I started um, in full frame, um, that was something that I was blown about, away by, but also shouldn't have been shocked is that there was so much trust given where really big name uh, photographers, planners, creative partners were giving us hours of their time creating content before mm. it even existed. I mean, we've only been live three weeks of the date of this recording, but we had, you know, people writing thousand word articles for a thing that didn't exist. Right. And yeah. so that, and when I would tell other people that in interviews, like just kind of chit chatting with them, they weren't surprised, you know, cause that's yeah. just a wonderful, beautiful thing about our wedding industry. But in this instance, it seems like that trust was exploited. And it's it's kind of a shame because I don't want that to go away. Um, that's what makes this community so special. But at the same time, it, it people do need to vet their sources. If you're going to spend, and I don't know how much it costs to attend Hustle & Flow, and I, I'd love to talk to you about kind of the scale of it. But if you're going to mm. pay someone money to teach you, you should know wh who they are. And it just, yeah. I, I don't think that means that you need to know every one of their core values or their religion or anything like that. But you need to know where, who you're paying and where that information is coming from. And it seems like um, a lot of the attendees did not know um, maybe the background that these guys were bringing to their workshops. And it seems like a lot of the speakers have been really blindsided by this as, as well. Mm, yeah. 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 I mean, I think these were people who, were master manipulators and who were very good at silencing anyone who spoke out. So you would be hard pressed to find negative reviews of Hustle and Flow, um, despite the fact that there are hundreds of people that are speaking now about their negative experiences. So, you know, I, I really don't blame anyone for not seeing who these people were, um, you know, from the very beginning. But I do think it's important to see and take stock of who they surround themselves with, who's working for them, you know, why they're working with yeah. them, you know, even knowing their their business structure is, is not a bad thing if you're going to align your brand with someone, you know, because all too often in, a, in an industry where there is a low barrier to entry, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that people can get away with a lot more <laughs> for a lot longer if simply you're bold, yeah, I mean, if you're bold yeah if you're bold and confident and willing to put to stick your neck out there to meet people and if you make a certain amount of money that pretty much is your in um you know and and like you said like it's a trustworthy place so if you if you've met that barrier to entry i think people pretty much take you at your word and like you said i don't think that's always a bad thing but i do think that that's allowed a lot of people to abuse their power over the years and get away with it yeah. Well, how much what was like to attend a hustle and flow workshop? What, mm -hmm. uh, how much would that cost? Um, around the time that I was fired, it was an average of $1,500 per ticket. For a per workshop. Ticket. And at what scale, how many attendees would they have? 
Um, at that point, they were at 75 to 100 attendees per workshop. Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about, you said, who was it that posted first? Jay? Is that his name? Uh-huh. Yeah. My friend so Jay. he posts, the Hans posts their apology. Mm-hmm. Why did they, what were they apologizing for? Why did they feel like they needed to post an apology video? So the apology video was in reference or in response rather to the accusation that some people had come out with that they had a video and screenshots um, with evidence of the Hans being racist or homophobic. They were also responding to a website that was made by a friend of mine a year ago that also called the Hans out for being racist, homophobic, and xenophobic. Um, Brittany started the- So someone- (laughs) made sorry no that's okay (laughs) someone made a dedicated website yeah a friend of mine which i didn't know it was her at the time made a website it was a single page website but it just said the Mm -hmm. hans you know have a a history and a pattern of racist homophobic and xenophobic behavior and they found that website and apparently were very angry about it because they dedicated about half the apology videos to talking about that and about how they were they were defensive towards the website. Um, I guess the point that I want to make here is that <laughs> my friend Jaquila spoke to many people in the wedding industry a year ago after I was fired and treated very poorly mm-hmm. and told them um, the exact same things that I told everyone in my Facebook post, which was exactly that, that the Hans had a history of racist, homophobic, and xenophobic behavior that I wasn't comfortable with. And my friend Jaquila was often written off or not believed or people would hear her but they would continue to associate with the Hans it wasn't quite taken seriously um and I think you know they they in my opinion released that apology video in order to get ahead of whatever was going to be released about them um little did I know that 2,000 people had screenshots with instances of you know abuse but I, I think that that was their intention was was to apologize before anything with validity had been posted. Okay, so the the initial person that said, you know, I have these screenshots and videos. How was that presented to them? Is or do you not know? Was it in a you need to do this or we're going to do this? Was was it like a blackmail type of thing or just they were just letting you know, hey, this is going to happen? No, um, actually, Catherine Marshan posted this Instagram post calling other photographers out on Instagram. And my friend Jay just commented saying, you know, essentially I don't think that you really have space to be calling people out considering that just a few months ago, you put me in danger at a club by yelling at me and, you know, threatening me among other things. So no one was, was blackmailing them or anything. They were just, my friends that were speaking their truth in the comments were continually silenced and comments were deleted. Um, and they were just told that their experience wasn't accurate. So there was no reason that I, I was not holding on to this information and intending it to be released now. I had no intention of this being, you know, the time of reckoning for the, for the wedding industry. But when yeah. th- I saw them silencing my friends, I truly just believed that they 
had done this for the last time that I was going to sit back and watch it happen and not speak up and, and really solidify just the fact that my friends were telling the truth because I'd seen it with my own eyes. And even right. though I was too scared of them a year ago to back, to back my friends up, I knew that now was probably the time. So it was only brought to Facebook when, um, you know, comments were getting deleted on Instagram and people weren't seeing what was being said. I really just figured that Facebook was a more centralized place to get this messaging out. Yeah. Well, it worked. I mean, <laughs> it's, yeah, I mean, it, is it what you expected? I mean, the, the type of reaction that you've had to your post? Um, absolutely not. No. I mean, I, I'm frankly shocked at how deep this goes for so many people. I didn't quite know it was possible for three individuals to cause this much harm within one industry. Yeah. <laughs> it seems kind of crazy. Um, they've only been active in the industry for about eight years. So I truly didn't understand the scope of the pain that they had caused to their attendees and their friends and people they knew in middle school and high school and people who tried to mm -hmm. sell houses to them and you know, it's quite painful, actually, for me to read the posts and the messages that are coming in because um, I think if I would have known that it went this deep, I would have said something a lot sooner, which I know a lot of people feel. Um, but, I mean, I think in my wildest expectations, I figured that a few hundred people would see the post and hopefully the people that I knew would back me up, you know, yeah. and, and the people that needed to see it would see it and things yeah. would, you know, incrementally change. But I, I never thought that they would, you know, shutter their business or disappear off social media. None of that was overnight at all expected, you yeah. know, or even called for. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I hear you saying that you wish you'd have done it sooner, but I think that you being willing to share and um, others being willing to share has allowed, obviously, a lot more people that were afraid to um, mm -hmm. share their experiences. Um, and you can see that in the, the thread that you have up. Anyone that's that's been on there can see the, like we're saying, near 3,000 comments. And many of those are um, stories that people were holding on to that Again, maybe they thought it was just them. Maybe they they thought that if they shared, that they would be uh, called out. So um, it, it freed up a lot of people. And I think you know this is this is one instance of something that has been not a good situation for a very long time for a lot of people. But I think it's also something that can be ex extrapolated in other instances that people can see. Hey, you know what? If I'm holding on to this thing if I just jump in, if I'm willing to share and if I can be brave, I'm brave for someone else. This allows other people to share and not have to just live with something. And I mean, there's, you know, there's so many instances of that. That's just not this. That's so many other mm. things. So, you know, it's, it's, um, it's good that you did that. It's good that everyone else did that. And in, in the future, you know, anyone that has heard this story or, or has any experience, they should feel like share it because mm. even if you're a little bit scared, you can help yeah. Someone else. And you've, I mean, you've helped so many people by being willing to share and the others being willing to share. Definitely. Um, yeah. I think that's a huge lesson that I've learned right in this moment, you know, is that 
no matter how scared you are of personal repercussions, you know, if you believe that an injustice has been done, then, you know, by speaking up, you can only receive support from people who feel the same way. Like, you're not going to be ostracized further if you know that what you're speaking is the truth. I, I still believe that this industry and our circles are full of good and compassionate people who listen and who respect the stories of survivors and, and of people who have experienced less than ideal things in the industry. And I think that it is a place where we want to lift each other up and we don't want to see anyone taken advantage of. And, you know, I, I didn't trust that for a long time coming off my relationship with the Hans. I was very reluctant to re-enter the wedding world, very scared to accept any help or jobs from people um, just because I was pretty scarred by my first experience. But I've learned since then that good people abound in this industry and that if you look for them, you know, they're there to help you. And, you know, I think that that's something that I hope everyone can learn from this is just we should never stay silent for the sake of maintaining the status quo. Um, because 100%. often the status quo is not good enough. <laughs> it's not the standard no, yeah. that we should be adhering to. Yep. And I think until obviously people experience a platform that's safe and open for them, you know, they can't speak. And that's a big problem. Right. It's a big problem. Yeah. yeah. I think there's just the normal assumption that the status quo is the correct thing. That yeah. the law is morally correct like if it's if if this is what everyone's doing then it's the right thing right and someone has to question i mean it's you have hundreds and thousands of, of years of of seeing that so many you know laws um, practices have been wrong and people just went along with them whether it's on a small level or a large level mm. and those things need to be questioned and yeah. yeah like you said the status quo is not always the right thing yeah so have you heard from anyone on their side? I'm assuming you haven't, but any intention on their end to, did they delete their account? Did they archive their, their account? Are they coming back? Do we, um, do we really know any of that? I guess my, my guess is that the accounts are archived. I mean, I suppose they could have been fully deleted, but there's a lot of content on there. I have not heard from any of them. Um, I actually, I did receive a couple of text messages from Catherine, which I haven't um, responded to yet, but I haven't heard from either Brittany or John. I, um, you know, I, I hope that they are taking some time to just take stock of the harm that they've caused and, you know, that they don't jump back on the internet immediately. But I also know that a lot of people are very expectant um, of an apology from them people who've spent thousands of dollars for courses that are ongoing um, with them. So I wouldn't be surprised if they, if they, you know, reactivated those accounts to give an apology or something this week. I, I don't really know though. They haven't contacted me. So. Yeah. yeah. What were your thoughts on the apology they posted? Um, I think that apology was the fakest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> Scene. Um, it, it was very confusing to me to watch that apology or coming out video or whatever that was. Mm -hmm. I think that it was deeply inappropriate for it to be framed the way it was. I mm -hmm. think that it was honestly 
just a sad attempt at rescuing their image before more truth came out. And I think that most people saw it for exactly what it was. Um, I don't think it was sincere. If I did, I probably would have thought twice about posting what I did soon thereafter. But instead, it honestly just inspired me to post more because it validated validated exactly what I thought was going on and and you know I don't think that you also get to use then not only the Black Lives Matter movement but the LGBT community as your excuse for your ignorance you know there's enough homophobia and enough discrimination within our industry as it is without introducing that kind of narrative to your story of why you're a bully or why you can get away with being homophobic you know I think we need people leading leading the way and educating who truly have been walking the walk, not only talking the talk and who have been, yeah. you know, valuing inclusivity in their businesses from the very beginning. And that is not at all what was happening at the haunts, you know, and I think they knew that and were trying to cover their tracks as quickly as possible. Um, but I, I mean, I feel I honestly feel bad for anyone who had to watch that apology video and think that that was at all acceptable. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, um, I'm sure there's a lot of people who have seen it. Um, I know a couple people recorded it, but I, I watched it. I asked other people their opinions. Um, the consensus would be in a word confusing, you know, is it possible that something genuine could come out of this, that a genuine apology could come out that people would, um, I don't know, accept, but at least would be a positive thing, you know, some glimpse of something positive. I don't know. I mean, we'll see. I know that that's, that was their business and how they supported their family. So I guess all of our hopes would be that there's actual self-reflection and um, yeah, I guess we'll see what happens. Thank you so much for, for sharing yeah. uh, what you shared. I know there's a lot of people who have already thanked you on Facebook. And I think that what you guys have all done, being brave enough to share, will help a lot of people. Something I would want to add, you mentioned you know, people looking to leaders in the industry that have set years of precedent of doing the right thing, of sending out the, the right messages and being genuine, good people. The thing that is really good and wonderful about our industry, there's many things, but one of them is that we're not short on those types of people. Yeah. Not short at all. And a bit of that might be ironic in this particular situation, but the bigger thing is that there, there's so many wonderful leaders who walk the walk and talk the talk and have done it for 10, 20, 30 years, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, it's just a reminder that we need to look to those people people that have been yeah. out there doing it. Yeah. And also I would, you know, if I may look to the young people because I'm yeah. 23, you know, I'm a newcomer in this industry. I'm a baby. My business is brand new, but you know, Gen Z has a lot to offer. We, we have our ear to the ground as far as what it means to be inclusive and what it means to, you know, be online and what it means to, you know, yeah. be, getting married in a totally new social landscape. So I would say, you know, younger younger people are smarter than you think. You know, look to the people who've been around a while and then also look to the people with new ideas. Don't be don't be afraid of that. But, you know, pay attention if people are exploiting young talent. 
because there's probably a reason that they're doing it right. and they can get away they can get away with it for a long time because people see that talent and they see our voices and they want to be a part of that and they want to be a part of the business that that can generate but they don't look out for us to make sure that we're being protected and treated and paid fairly and that's something that I've become really passionate about from this experience is just making sure that young people and especially young people of color are really given the opportunities that they deserve in this industry because we are the ones that are going to be pushing the envelope forward and, and holding people accountable, um, you know, for, for a new standard and for the standard that I think our society is accepting as the standard as far as inclusivity, inclusivity and, you know, acceptance goes. So I would just encourage people, you know, follow your gut and don't be afraid to speak out when you see injustice is happening. Believe people when they tell you that they've been exploited or or used. And also, yeah, look for the helpers. Look for the people who seek out people to elevate them and to launch them from their platform. Um, even like you, Lance, like I can see that you're you're lifting the community with your platform. And I think Thank that you. That's that's what I'm looking for um, going forward. And in making that post, I knew that, you know, it could go one of two ways. I could either never have a future in this industry or I could have a future in an industry that was a lot more inclusive and a lot more accepting and a lot more willing to listen. So I'm hopeful for the future that's coming. And I also just wanted to say thank you to you and to everyone else who's listened to my story and everyone else's story this week. And yeah, has taken us seriously because it's been, it's been a long few years of dealing with this and unwinding <laughs> all of the, all of the, the whole tangled web of what we were, what we were caught up in. So I really appreciate this.